Well, friends, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please join me by turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, and this morning we are in our fourth message in our sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And this message, titled, God Gives Gifts, marks a turning point in our series. Thus far, we have considered the Holy Spirit's broad work in salvation. We've studied our need to walk in step with the Spirit from Galatians 5. We've studied our desperate need for His filling and empowering presence in our life, Ephesians. But now we will begin talking about spiritual gifts. Country musician Johnny Cash has a song from the 1970s called One Piece at a Time. And it's about a factory worker who is on the assembly line making Cadillacs. This guy, he doesn't make enough money to purchase one of the cars that he has a hand in assembling. So he has the idea to build a car for himself one piece at a time. As he slips out parts and pieces from the factory hidden in his lunchbox and in his buddy's mobile home. And what he ends up with is a Cadillac with parts from every year from 1949 to 1970. Can you imagine what this car must have looked like? One long taillight from 1959, an engine from 73, a transmission from 53, Two right front headlights and only one left. It was pieced together to make a hole. Well, that in many ways is like the local church. We are a bunch of different parts and pieces from different years coming together to walk in unity and to point lost souls to Christ. We're not a polished showroom car. We are more like Cash's Cadillac, one piece at a time. But each and every piece is important. Each and every piece is invaluable. And we will learn this morning that God gives gifts to bless and build a happy and healthy local church. Do you earnestly desire the spiritual gifts for this goal? God gives gifts to bless and build a happy and healthy local church. So please join me now by turning your attention to the best part of this morning's message, and that is the reading of God's word. In 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit... 
There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second Prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Well, let's go to the Lord quickly and ask for his help to understand and apply his word. Lord, we love you and we love your word. 
and we, we want to obey your word. We want to understand your word. And so, God, please help us. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first point this morning is Corinth. We have a problem. Now, friends, I want you to use your imagination with me for a moment. Imagine receiving and accepting a job offer from across the country. And after being gone for several years, you decide that it's, that it's time to move back home. And you are excited to begin attending the church that you left and that you loved Living Hope once again when you make your return. And you walk through the front doors that first Sunday when you're back and you make the following observations. First, there is serious divisions within the church. Instead of people following Christ, you see people following popular Christian men and dividing over their differences. Two, you notice an influential man in the congregation who is holding hands with a woman. But as you look closer, you realize that she is not his wife. She is his mother-in-law. You later find out that he has left his wife for her mother. Three, you take notice that individuals who were strong friends when you left are no longer talking anymore. Instead, they seem to be purposefully avoiding one another. When you inquire about this situation, you discover that there was a bad business situation. And now there's a lawsuit against one another. Four, you sit through the preaching and hear a strange message that morning. The pastor says that he has recently realized that marriage is forbidden by serious seekers of God and that it, that it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman. Five, when it's time to take communion, you realize, you realize that some people have brought with their families a picnic basket full of food, while others are too poor to afford any food. And so they're sitting alone, and they don't have anything for communion. In addition, you see a group of guys leaned up against the wall, turning back the wine bottle. And getting drunk. And lastly, when you left, you remembered your church being spirit-led and orderly, but not charismaniacs. Now you're observing people singing and shouting aloud, out of order, in tongues. Throughout the entire service. Well, friend, in addition to being disappointed, what would your response be? <laughs> to leave, right? I might not be far behind you. But here's what's crazy. Though this was the exact situation at Corinth, what was Paul's response Though this church had 
abused grace, misunderstood almost everything about faithful Christian practice, and became charismaniacs, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. This is what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. So that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Paul is certainly very unhappy with situations that are taking place at the church that he helped plant. But nevertheless, he is patient and he is gentle with them as they mature in Christ. Friends, are we this patient and this gentle with other Christians? For example, when we observe the misuse and abuse of spiritual gifts in our culture, don't we often say, well, that must mean that all the miraculous gifts of the Spirit have ceased. But what was Paul's response to the abuse and misuse of spiritual gifts? Was it to say, guys, don't you understand? Those things have ceased. Guys, don't you understand? I'm an apostle and I'm the only one who can do those things. Guys, don't you understand that now that you've abused those things, they're taken away from you? No, this is what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Their misuse of the gifts were the result of a misunderstanding and a misapplication of God's desire and design for the gifts. So Paul takes the time to teach them over chapters 12, 13, and 14 that God gives spiritual gifts to bless and to build a happy and healthy local church. And the first thing that he wants them to know is that God is not like the mute idols that they previously worshiped before their conversion who do not speak. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. But God, our triune God, Yahweh, is a speaking God. He speaks to his people, and he speaks through his people. In verse 3, Paul says, No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. And his point is that whether it is unintelligible language or not, if the Spirit of God is empowering the Christian, the person is blessing God with their words. Well, that leads to our second point this morning. Many gifts, but one giver. Many gifts, but one giver. Within the local church, 
Paul says in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And again, in verse 5, he says there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And then again, in verse 6, he says there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, what Paul is doing here is intentional. It's strategic. He is stressing unity within diversity. He's not saying for the church to be united, everyone has to have the same gifts. Everyone has to operate in the same gifting. No, instead he's saying there is a diversity of giftings that the Spirit gives to every local church, and that's intentional. The Spirit does that. It is his will to do that. And that is how unity is developed. There is unity within diversity. And then Paul does this. He makes this point. He stresses this point by drawing attention to the unity within the Trinity. All three persons of the Godhead. Look with me back at verse 4. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, he says, And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, referring to Jesus. And then verse 6, There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. That is God the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. And I think that is really cool. Now, one commentator says this. The diversity of divine persons within the Trinity, within the unity of the Trinity, should be reflected in the diversity of gifts within the unity of the body of Christ in Corinth. Therefore, Paul wants the Corinthian church to understand how their unity can be enhanced by appreciating the variety of gifts God has given to them. And Paul provides for us here in verse 7 a really good definition of spiritual gifts. He says in verse 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's a really good definition of spiritual gifts and their purpose. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now what that means is that in all of the spiritual gifts, the Spirit of God comes to vocal and visible display through the efforts of Christians who are empowered by His presence. That's a Sam Storms quote. Wayne Grudem also says, A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Now, what are the variety of gifts that God has given to the church? Well, this list is not exhaustive on spiritual gifts, but Paul begins this list in verse 8 by saying this, To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. Now, friends, 
all Christians, all of us this morning, are called to walk in wisdom according to God's word and to be filled with the knowledge of his will. But Paul appears to be saying that the Spirit gives a spontaneous gift of a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge to his people on special occasions. Now, I can testify to this gift operating in my life, my own mother operating in this gift on several occasions while I was growing up, and the Lord using it to help her parenting and to spare me from further disobedience. When I was 16 and unconverted, I was dating someone that my mother did not approve of. And one night, the Lord gave her an insight into my relationship that frustrated me for a long time. A prompting from the Spirit to check my phone. From my perspective, it was the worst time possible. From the Lord's, it was perfect. It was intentional. So my mom borrowed my phone... And needless to say, I was grounded for a really long time after this divinely inspired incident. Friends, looking back on this incident, if, if it would have been two hours before or two hours later, it would have been missed. It was, it was the Lord disclosing such perfectly timed information to my mother to trap me in my sin. Verse 9, Paul moves on and says, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now the faith that Paul is referring to here is different from the gift of saving faith that each Christian receives at regeneration. Every Christian this morning has Faith, faith that Christ died for your sins, died in your place for your sins, and that you are forgiven, that you are justified, that you are right with God. And that is right, that is necessary for salvation. Faith is essential in our salvation. But that's not the faith that Paul is referring to here. The faith that he is referring to here could be defined like this. A Christian's powerful confidence in God to accomplish humanly impossible tasks. This gift of faith reminds me of one individual in church history named George Mueller, the man who started orphanages in the 1800s that was widely respected in that day and to this day, a man whose blueprint for orphanages were, was picked up by even Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Well, early on, George Mueller felt a deep conviction to never share the orphanage's needs with anyone, but to solely rely on God. They weren't receiving government assistance, and they weren't, sending, they weren't even sending out updates and requests for finances. He felt a deep conviction from the Lord that he wanted to take all the numbers and all the needs to the Lord 
and never make a dime known to anybody. One such story out of hundreds of similar ones was the time early on in their ministry when they did not have enough money to purchase milk to make oatmeal for the children's breakfast the next day. As they gathered together, that is the team and Mueller's wife, they prayed. And while they were praying, there was a knock at the door and a delivery of several envelopes containing more than enough money for their needs that next morning. There are hundreds of stories like this with with George Mueller. And I think that's what Paul's talking about when he says the gift of faith. Paul goes on and says, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Now, if you notice, the text says gifts, not gift. And that is on purpose. That's a correct translation. So says the Greek scholars. I don't want to give the impression that I'm a Greek scholar. That would be misleading. Now, unlike some other spiritual gifts, which are more permanent and possessive in the life of the Christian, this one, this gift of healing, is more situational. No one has the gift of healing in a permanent and possessive sense, for only God can heal. But God wants his people to pray for the healing of the sick. And when he wills, He answers those prayers with gifts of healings. However, there might be a case where someone has more consistently seen God's answer to their request for people's healing. And if that is the case, then it would be really wise for the local church to know about that and for the local church to leverage that person when praying for the sick. Paul is not at all wanting to put the confidence in a person. If someone's sick, then, hey, that person in the local church has the gift of healing, so let's go to them. Let's put all of our confidence in them for healing. That's not how this gift operates. It is God who heals, and at times he utilizes the prayers of particular people more often than the prayers of other people to answer those requests for healing. Well, Paul keeps going on in verse 10. He says, to another, the working of miracles. Now, similar to healings, this is a spontaneous gift of the Spirit, rather than a gift that a Christian always and consistently and constantly possesses. Now, whether this gift is referring to Demon exorcism, exorcism, raising people from the dead or other situations similar to that that we could classify as miracles, I'm not quite sure. Neither are the scholars. But one thing that we can all be sure of is that we see those things played out in the book of Acts. Both of those things. Demons being exercised from people's lives where they're wrecking and ruining people's lives. People being raised from the dead. And listen, may make you uncomfortable, but there are times in church history where these things have happened. Often in church history where these things 
have happened. Obviously, it's not every day that someone's raised from the dead. It's a miracle. Miracle, by definition, is unusual. But nevertheless, these things have certainly happened. Just like, just like with the gift of healing, the gift of miracles can be a gift that the Lord tends to use in a particular person more often than somebody else. And it would be wise for the church to know those things in case we knew someone who was possessed by a demon or needed a miracle. And that person could be requested to go and to pray on, on their behalf. Then Paul goes on to say, and he says, to another prophecy. Now the gift of prophecy appears to me to be the gift that was anticipated for the promised outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost in Joel 2.28. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The gift of prophecy has significant relevance in the church age. From the beginning of the church age to the end of the church age. So what is meant by New Testament prophecy? Well, it is certainly different from the gift in the office that Old Testament prophets such as Isaiah held. This is a, a working definition of New Testament prophecy. It is a spontaneous impression or word from the Lord delivered to the mind and spoken through the mouth of a Christian that is in accord with Scripture. Now, that's quick and that is brief. But rest assured, Paul is not done talking about prophecy and he's going to return to it in 1 Corinthians 14 and we will return to it as well when we study that chapter. But he goes on and he says, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. Wayne Grudem defines this gift this way, a special ability to recognize the influence of the Holy Spirit or of demonic spirits in a person. Now it appears that Paul operated in this gift in Acts 16 verse 16 when it says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. This observation resulted in Paul turning to her eventually saying this, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. <laughs> there were several times when I was a, a fireman that I'd be riding in the back of the ambulance. And, and I don't know. I haven't written a book on what demon possession looks like or spirit 
of divination, these sorts of things. But there were several times, a few times, that I thought, oh man, this looks like that. At least what it looks like in the scripture. And you know what? All I knew to do, and I think this is right, is to pray. Pray silently in that moment. At times I was pressed. Should I pray loud? With the med- and I thought, well, that might, that might not be right. That might not be. So I prayed privately. I would always pray, Lord, if this person, if this person is possessed by a demon, would you please remove that demon in the name of Jesus? Now, I wish I could tell you that, like, in that moment, that person was like, took a deep breath, and they're like, wow, I'm free. It didn't happen. But it's not the results, not just the results of our prayers that should make us keep praying. It's, it's, the, it's the word of God that calls us to do these things, to practice our faith in such ways. I don't think that demons just existed in the first century and then they just sort of disappeared after that. They, they're still messing up people's lives, ruining people's lives. And I think that if we encounter someone where we think, and I think, I think, that if we have a spontaneous thought in in someone's presence that this might be demon possession, that might be this gift playing out. The ability to distinguish between spirits. That might be that, and I think it would be faithful for us to pray. In that moment, you don't have to light a candle. You don't have to pour out the anointing oil on someone's head right there in the moment. You just pray. Lord, I knew you did this in the book of Acts. And the same spirit that was in the Christians in the book of Acts, he's in me. In the same fallen world that they lived in, I'm living in. I believe your word. And so I'm going to pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I command this demon to leave this person's body. They are wrecking and ruining this person's life. I think that's faithful. And lastly, Paul goes on, he says, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, as with prophecy, we're going to talk more about this gift in chapter 14. So I hope you don't leave too disappointed that we didn't. We're just scratching the surface, really, on this gift. But here's here's one thing I want you to know from this morning's message about the gift of tongues. All throughout the New Testament, this gift is seen as a blessing, not as a curse. Now, there are obviously times, as in Corinth, where the Christians were abusing this gift, but their abuse doesn't lead Paul to say, I'm taking that back, as if he could. But now that you've abused tongues, I'm taking it back. No, he doesn't say that. He, in fact, says, earnestly desire. Like the very thing that Paul knew they already did, they This was a church who loved the gifts. I mean, you want to talk about a church who operated and loved the gifts, it was this church. So that's the one thing I want us to know this morning. We'll get into more detail and what it looks like in the life 
of the church and the life of the believer in chapter 14. But the one thing we have to know is that it is always seen as a blessing in the life of the believer in the scriptures. Now, how, how might we define the gift of tongues? Well, Wayne Grudem says, again, in his systematic theology, speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. And then Paul concludes this section by saying, in verse 11, that all these are empowered, (laughs) not just the ones that we're comfortable with, all these gifts are empowered by one in the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That is, as the Spirit wills. So in other words, friend, God the Holy Spirit sovereignly gives each gift to members of the body of Christ to bless and build a happy and healthy local church. That leads to our third point this morning. I need you and you need me. Through verses 12 to 31, that is Paul's point. That when we make eye contact with one another on Sunday mornings, that this would be our message. I need you and you need me. He returns once again in this section to the subject of unity. It's a huge deal. Unity is a huge deal in the book of 1 Corinthians. So he returns to this subject of unity within diversity. And he appeals, pleads with the church to understand that though each gift is different, it is nonetheless necessary in order to build a happy and healthy local church. In verses 14 to 26, he uses the human body as an analogy and says things like this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Then he makes his climactic point in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what is What is his point in this analogy? What is his point in saying this? Well, it is that the preacher cannot say that he does not need the one who speaks with the gift of prophecy. And so that the administrator cannot say that she does not need the Christian who has the gift of tongues. And so on. God gives all the gifts to bless and build a happy and healthy local church. And we need one another and one another's giftings. A happy and healthy local church is not built on one person and their gifts. For Paul says in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Well, the obvious answer is no. No, there is not one Christian 
who possesses all of these gifts, who has all of this one super Christian who walks around and has the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of teaching, the gift of administration, the gift of hospitality, and so on. I have no need. I am the church. (laughs) No, there's not one single Christian who can say, I really don't need anybody else because I kind of have all the gifts. I am a happy and healthy local church, a church of one. There's never any disputes or disagreements. It's easy to get along. No, we all need the parts and the pieces, the giftings and the skill sets like Cash's Cadillac that the Spirit is willing to give in order to build a happy and a healthy local church. So friend, here's a question for you. Do you earnestly desire the spiritual gifts for this goal? On a scale of 1 to 10, how badly do you earnestly desire the spiritual gifts? One of the goals that we have in this series is that those of us who are open but cautious concerning the gifts would be challenged by Paul's words to earnestly desire. I'm sorry, friend, but you will not find open but cautious the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Acts, anywhere. That's one of our goals, is that is that it would just be challenging. Another goal for this series is that God would use it to help us identify and grow in our understanding of the gifts that he has given to bless his body. We want our understanding of God's heart in giving the gifts to deepen so that we think about how to use and leverage our gifts for the good of his people each and every week. Paul wants us thinking about the church throughout the week. He wants us praying for the church throughout the week. And in particular, I think, in accordance with 1 Corinthians 12, he wants us to pray, Lord, use the gifts that you have given me to bless and to build This local church that you've made me a part of. He hasn't just given you gifts to sit on the sidelines. Your gifts are intentionally given by the God of the universe to bless and to build a happy and healthy local church. So friend, how is your pursuit of the spiritual gifts in your life? The ordinary and The miraculous. All of them are miraculous because they are a manifestation of the Spirit. But what does your pursuit of them look like in your life? Do you recognize that God has given you gifts, not primarily for your good, but for the good of those in your local church? And like the church at Corinth, may it be said of living hope, that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because, friends, where God gives gifts to a local church, I believe God intends to give growth in unity to a local church. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we love your word and we thank you for the spirit. We thank you for the church. We thank you that you give gifts to the church and that as you teach us and lead us in our understanding of those gifts, that we would grow in unity, that we would that we would grow as one as Jesus prayed for in John 17. So Lord, please give us the grace to walk as one as a local church, to rightly understand your word and rightly apply your word and to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.